Welcome to White Shores, the podcast for spiritual beings having a human experience. Let me invite you to walk once more beside me on White Shores to talk about the real meaning of life and the true power of what is unseen. Let's discuss dreams, intuition, manifesting, as above, so below, angels, afterlife, the science of consciousness, and other infinite possibilities within and all around you. I hope every episode informs, inspires, and illuminates. So, now the scene is set, allow the grey rain curtain of this world to roll back and all to turn to silver glass. Let's walk barefoot together on the gentle, glistening sands of white shores to see what mystery lies beyond the material. Thank you for arriving safely on White Shores, a far green country under a swift sunrise. Got a question for you. What could have happened to transform a hardcore skeptic scientist and materialist into an open-minded believer in spirituality and anomalous phenomena? Well, I've got the perfect guest to answer that question because she has written a stunning book called Proof of Spiritual Phenomena, which I highly recommend, by the way. She's a neuroscientist and her name is Mona Sabani and she's an absolute delight. And I can't wait to get into this interview. Less of me talking, more of Mona speaking. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. And and just thrilled to talk to you because when it landed on my desk and I also saw that it had been highly endorsed and recommended by my co-author Dr Julia Mossbridge I just knew I was going to fall in love with the book and that's exactly what I did but let's talk about this book you say you're the least likely person to tell the story of spiritual transformation (laughs) what do you mean by that Yes, I was very uh, anti-spirituality and anti-religion and just a very hard-nosed scientific materialist um, scientist, neuroscientist. And I, yeah, I didn't really see a place for, um, for these kind of spiritual frameworks uh, in science. And so I just never really believed in them. And I was actually kind of aggressively anti these things just because that tends to be I don't know. It's just the view you kind of adopt when you're in science a little bit. Um, and I think Western culture a little bit. So yeah, so I was just, I was, you know, never interested, very aggressively anti all this stuff. And so I really was the least likely person. Like I'm still surprised sometimes myself, but yeah, no, I was, I was the least, least likely person because, um, I was, I was just not interested in this stuff and I didn't believe in it and I I didn't believe other people should believe in it either. So it is it is very surprising. So why do you think that is in the scientific community when there are things that cannot be explained, personal mm-hmm. inner world experiences? Mm-hmm. Why is it that the science world struggles to embrace it and study it? Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, but I think... I think part of it is that they're just um, – well, if you want a practical reason, it's because people don't really have t- 
time, right? Um, to be like most people have their research interests and things that are more an- anomalous or unexplained. Those things don't really get funding, right? There's um, limited funding, at least from the you know United in the United States. The majority of science funding comes from the federal government. It comes from our National Institute of Health or National Science Foundation, and they kind of set the agenda. You know, they'll put out calls every year for grants and they choose the topics. And so you can imagine there's not very many (laughs) topics or anomalous and unexplained. I mean, and why that is, that's a bigger question. But at a very practical level for individual scientists running their own labs, there's just no funding for that kind of work. So they redirect their interests, you know, into more typical things that will definitely get them funding. Otherwise, they won't have a very easy career. Um, And I think more broadly in Western culture or or whatnot, we've just seen this division after the scientific revolution and the enlightenment, you know, kind of this move away from religion explaining everything more towards reason, logic, rational thinking, you know, being the thing that we lean on for explaining everything. And because of that emphasis, that worldview emphasis, that drives, I think, a lot of um, a lot of the ways people think in, in Western and, and scientific cultures. Absolutely. Um, I, mean, I guess the focus on what's tangible is is understandable. Um, yeah. You know, it is very elusive, this area, but um, as you and I know, utterly transformative too. Yeah. So you're in this science world. This is your life. You're a neuroscientist and, and the dedication and study and discipline to get to that level um, is massive. So you've invested your, your life in it, really. Mm-hmm. What changed? What shifted your perspective to an interest in the invisible, the unseen? Yeah, well, um, part of it is, I always like to say now that it was a perfect storm of things that happened to me. But one of the things that opened my mind a little bit was um, that I'm Persian. I come from Persian culture. And so in our culture, we have a tradition of divination. And you can use, you know, various tools like tarot or whatnot. But in my family, my grandmother used to use coffee grounds. This um, It's not American coffee. It's like a thicker kind of coffee that you leave the grounds in the cup. It dries and it makes these pictures. And if you have a reader, they can you know look at it, find pictures, tell a story, intuit things about your past, your present, and your future. And my grandmother could do that. And my, my mother learned from her how to do it. And so this was always going on in the background, you know, in my my childhood, in our family home, and our family parties. And when I was in graduate school, my mom and I would have coffee together just on the weekends to bond. And she just started reading for me. And at first I didn't really, you know, I mean, I didn't take a place, a lot of faith in it, but um, I noticed over the years that a lot of what she said came true. And, and so I started taking, you know, copious notes for years and years and just kind of tracking and be like, what, um, of what she says, what comes true. And, you know, I kind of was interested in figuring it out, but it was just very casual. And I couldn't explain it with science, of course. There's there's no framework for explaining that. They don't talk about that kind of stuff when you're in graduate school. So I didn't really have anywhere to turn to try to understand it. So I just accepted it and kept it very separate in my mind. But um, because of those readings, you know, my mom saw two, there were two big emotional events in my life that happened that made me really, you know, look at this um, act of divination and and wonder, you know, in a more curious way, like what is going on here? Um, And because one of those events was um, the death of someone I knew. And then the second was a 
a breakup and so like a relationship ending. And so I think because especially the life death, you know, the the death one was always like, it's about life or death. And so suddenly these (laughs) readings took on a very heavy (laughs) meaning for me. I'm like, wait, what is going on? Yeah. So, so I got interested in that. And then, um, my friends and I just started going to intuitive readings because I just got interested in like, uh, what are they perceiving? Is it a real phenomena? You know, um, that kind of thing. And that kind of got me, uh, it opened my mind a little and started me down this path of, of exploring and investigating and reading, you know, and just asking questions. I'm so glad you did it. It seems like you very much began to shift from the idea of, um, the universe being random, yeah. chaotic, meaningless into it having deep meaning. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was a, that was, I didn't expect to find that, but I loved that that ended up being the case, but I ha- it took a very long time to accept that I have to say. But I love the way that you don't, you don't then sort of move completely away from science. You, you want to include both, you incorporate both yeah. in your world. Don't you? Can you explain that worth the science and the spirituality? Yeah, absolutely. Which apparently would seem like opposites to most people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I view it as it's one universe. And it, in my mind, it just, it must all be related. Um, but I can, I mean, now, now that's my view <laughs> before. So, I, you know, I, I could see how tr- um, more mainstream scientists still view it. Spirituality and religion, you know, evolved to help us comfort our way through difficult lives. That's kind of how a lot of people view it. But now I think that, you know, I believe that there is a spiritual mystical dimension to the universe. And if so, then it it must all be related. So um, yeah, in the book, I, and even on my journey, I needed to have some sort of scientific you know, I mean, evidence is a heavy word, but it doesn't have to be a lab controlled, you know, double blind placebo study, but, but something. Um, and so that's when I, I, you know, at first it started with this, my personal experience, my mother's readings, and I, I went and got intuitive readings and, and all of that. But then when it came down to it, I, you know, I, I think somebody gave me a reading list of, you know, hundreds of scientific papers, like actually lab-controlled studies that had been looking at psi or phenomena or psychic phenomena for hundreds of years, like in, you know, countries all around the world. So the it surprised me how long, because people had been interested in this, it was like over a hundred years of research, um, how many papers had been published, you know, how many different kinds of people were interested in it. And then also I, I went to read the papers and as a scientist, I thought, well, this is like, you know, almost very similar to some of the neuroscience and psychology studies that we do. Like the methods were the set the methods and the statistics, like all of it was very similar to what we, what we find in neuroscience and psychology. So that really got my attention. You know, I didn't even think it was possible that people had investigated this or that there was any evidence to find. Um, so I was really surprised to find that. Um, and that was just the psychic phenomena. You know, I went to look um, into it actually, the journey started with me reading Many Lives, Many Masters, and then doing a deep dive into past life regression literature, which is not a um, the most you know scientifically rigorous thing to look to look at in regard to spirituality. But it's I thought it was really interesting that you know if you put somebody in an ultra relaxed state and ask them to describe spiritual framework, <laughs> they all describe the same thing. Like Earth is a school, we come to learn lessons, you know. So I was interested in that kind of. Um, 
evidence, if you'll want to call it that, or that kind of research or literature. And and so that's I started digging into that and I included it because he, for me it was important to to have both for sure. You know, personal experience is great, but um, you know, no one's gonna believe you. <laughs> and then no one should, yeah. you know, if there's not if there's um not and not that no one should, but it's it's just more helpful to have um, you know, other other stories and other evidence. Well, that's why I'm so grateful to you for this book, because there are many, many spiritual mystical books out there, and they're often written from personal experience, belief, and from people who are intuitives, professional or otherwise. But Mm -hmm. um, having someone like you write it, Mona, really does give it weight. I mean, people can say, oh, the science is boring or whatever. It's not. It's so important Mm -hmm. to... No, and you, you, you writing this book. You know, did it suddenly come to you in a flash of inspiration? I've got to write this book. I've got to get the word out here. Is that how it happened? <laughs> um, I was doing interviews. So actually, I was doing interviews and reading all this research just for myself. Really, I just wanted to know the answers for myself. So it's a personal project, and um, I but I had a mentor, and he, um you know, it was like, what are you going to do with all the notes? And you should, you should summarize it. You should write it up for, even if it's just for yourself to help you make sense of everything, you should, you should write it up. And I mean, he did say you should write a book, but I didn't at the time I wasn't, I don't know. I just was like, I'm not going to write a book. I'm, um, you know, I was going through this identity crisis. I was like, I don't even know who I am. Like, <laughs> like I can't write a book, <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, but he he gave me a two week deadline. He was like, "In two weeks, I want to see what you've done or something." And so I I ended up writing half the book in two weeks. And then um, when I met with him, he was like, "Well, you've got to finish it now. You know, I mean, you're halfway done." <laughs> and oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "You're right." And so I yeah. So then I finished it. But yes, it did become this like weird compulsion. Like I wrote it very quickly in two and a half months, and I couldn't stop. Like I would wake up at three a.m. Um, so I could read or write in the morning before my normal day job. Um, and it was just this, yeah, intense compulsion to finish writing it as quickly as possible. Um, it was flowing through you, which is just perfect. That's how it should be. But of all the things that you learned in your research, of all the studies, all the what was the thing, the study or the insight or whatever that really gave you goosebumps? Um, I think that the... I think that a lot of the Psy literature, I mean, really is very interesting because, um, and, and very impressive because it's just, it's so well controlled, (laughs) you know, like this, um, field has been so scrutinized that, um, you know, everything's really well controlled and they just have these really interesting experiments like, um, like there was a lab at Cornell, actually Cornell University, that Daryl Bem was a psychologist who performed this series of experiments. And like one of them I thought was so interesting. It was the most mind boggling one um, where he had two groups of students and, you know, we, everyone knows that if you study a list, like a, um, a list of words before a test, um, a memory test, you're more likely to remember them. But he wanted to test this idea of, um, like retrocognition basically or retrocausal action which basically means what if you if you if you do an action after something does it go back in time to affect you beforehand and you see this in quantum physics experiments but you know no one's ever demonstrated it at a larger scale regular physics level so he did this he he made split two groups had them 
um, one of them, he the, you know, had them do the normal thing. And then the second group, he had them study the list of words after they took the test. So they like, um, they got to look at the words and then they got tested on the, the words, but then they got to really study it after. And there was a statistical difference between the groups. The ones that got to look at it after did better. And so it was studies like that where I just thought, you know, either really, the way- so what, you're, what you're saying is that there were two two groups. What the first group got a list of words and were allowed to study the words and then did the test. Mm-hmm. The, the second group didn't. Did they got to see the the words, but only briefly. So the the um the sorry. So there's two groups. They they got to they both got to see a list of words. Um, I don't know how long. Just kind of briefly, and then not not too long. Um. And then they got tested, a little quiz, you know, a little memory test. Um, and then only one, and that was, for one group, that was the end of it. And then the other group got the list of words again after they took the test so that they could look at it and they were asked to study it and memorize it um, for an additional, you know, I don't know how long it was, but for a good amount of time. Um, and so that that was it. And just, so then they compared the statistics, you know, they're like, was there a statistical difference between the scores on the two tests, even though one group had studied the words um, after they took the test, but they wow. found, they found, yeah. So, so there. What's all that about? What's happening there? I, I, I mean, from a scientist, a spiritual scientist perspective, what's the explanation? Yeah, I mean, from a normal scientist, when I read it, I was like, no, I mean, something must be wrong with the study. And there's been a lot of back and forth, you know, and people criticizing the statistics or this and that. But the fact is that if you do that, then a lot of our other science gets has to be thrown out too, because it's it was it's pretty good standards. It's been replicated, um, you know. So from a mechanistic point of view, I mean, we don't have an explanation. <laughs> That's the problem. That's why scientists don't like these experiments, right? It's like I don't have an explanation. It seems impossible if, you know, that with the conventionally accepted laws of physics. So, but you do see something similar in quantum physics. So, you know, I mean, the truth is we don't know. And it, but it's a mystery and it's an interesting one that should be studied more. I mean, I guess um, precognition might explain it. That right. I mean, they, the time, the time, <laughs> yeah, the time doesn't flow only in one direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! What's been the reaction to your from your colleagues, the ones who aren't so deep into the mystical, the spiritual? What's been the reaction to your book? Yeah, they're pretty open. I mean, I interviewed a lot of them for the project too because I was just curious. Um, you know, do you, do they believe in anything spiritual, religious, unexplained, paranormal? And a lot of them were interested and they were open-minded and they had a lot of, not a lot, but each of them had a personal experience or knew someone who had personal experiences, then we would swap stories. But the conversations were also in private. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I don't know how comfortable, you know, it varies a lot. I mean, some of them uh, don't care at all. And they'd be like, ah, you know, that's the point of science is to be open-minded and interested in everything and curious. And then others of them would be like, well, you know, I would never discuss this at a lab meeting, but, and then they'll tell me a story, you know, but it just varies a lot. But generally positive? More positive yeah, I think you- generally positive. I mean, I think everyone's human at the end of the day. I mean, that's kind of a part of why the, I wrote the book was that I, you know, I, most of the people I spoke to 
had stories. I, I think I spoke to only one person and I didn't know. I didn't choose people because of that. Like I just, you know, I took a random sampling of people I know. But um, maybe one that was just completely – a, 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 like a total total skeptic and you couldn't convince him and that's fine. Um, but mostly, I think at the end of the day, people are human and they all have stories. And that's part of why I wanted to write the book was, hey, if we share our stories, it's not so weird and it won't be so stigmatized. You know, Then it's more of a, hey, this is really weird that this happens, but um, like, what do we think about it? You know? Oh, we've all got these stories, haven't we, of, of things we just cannot explain. <laughs> yes, yeah. You know? And they're so fun, right? I mean, those are the fun stories you tell when you get together, right? <laughs> now, now your book was kind of inspired by readings. You mentioned in your culture that readings, mm-hmm. in, intuitives, um, kind of inspired the book. So um, you've done a lot of research, obviously, on intuitive perception, psychic perception. Um, if somebody wanted to go for a reading, what advice would you give them to get them get the best out of that reading and also to make sure that they're not encountering a fraud? Oh, yeah. Uh, I would definitely recommend getting recommendations from people who've gotten readings before because there are some really – there's many, you know, genuine intuitives who are just amazing, right? And a lot of them um, – you know, we'll try to prove it to you or give you some sort of um, validation, you know. And then, of course, there are others. So, I mean, I, I always – the way I've done it is ask for um, recommendations is for me personally. But I'm sure there's resources online. Um, to get the most out of the reading, yeah, I mean, I, I always tell people to really um, – you know, really think about <laughs> what are you, what would you be afraid to hear? And, you know, if there is something you really want to know, really asking yourself a million, like going very deep into the why of why you want to know. Um, and I think just being careful because I do think that things can become self-fulfilling prophecies. So always keeping in yeah. mind that, um, that take whatever you want from the reading, but don't worry, <laughs> you know, and like, um, yeah. yeah, I have to be careful with that with my dream decoding work when I decode dreams for people. The power of suggestion, mm-hmm. I've realized, is very strong, especially if somebody's feeling a bit lost. Yes, and somebody with authority comes in and with great certainty suggests a way forward that they feel is right. But of course, the most important person to know what's right for you is. Use it. No. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Always use your own judgment and your own intuition for sure. And that's the biggest piece of advice is I'll be like, take everything they say with a grain of salt and just write it down or record it, but don't worry about it. Don't like <laughs> spiral into despair or don't get too happy and do nothing like, you know, because then maybe yeah. it won't come true. So there's a lot of cautions. Um, and I think really asking yourself why you want it can clarify things for you before you even go. Sage advice. Thank you. So how will this book um, impact just the everyday life of readers? Because pe- people are listening, thinking, well, these are really big concepts, you know, the spiritual universe, <laughs> yeah. connected. But your book, how can it help people just going about their everyday life? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, for me, having, you don't even have to believe in, you mean, obviously everyone can believe whatever they want. Um, I mean, for me, the 
the spiritual framework about karma and reincarnation and all that stuff. I thought it was interesting. Um, I mean, it kind of depressed me because I was like, I don't want to come back and do this over again, <laughs> all of it. But um, but I thought it was an interesting framework and it really helped me in my day-to-day life when I was experiencing things to switch the psychological it basically reframe the way I think about things. Um, and instead of asking, you know, maybe like, why is this happening to me? Um, I started asking, what lesson should I be learning here? And when I started looking around at like, if everything I, you know, if everything is symbolic and, you know, I, I kind of believe, do believe, um, as below, so above, or, you know, as above, so below, then I, I am like, if this is what's going on in my external environment, what's going on internally with me, you know, like what is the symbolic um, thing I should be looking into or taking away from the situation? So, I mean, that has drastically helped me. I think also just accepting which many indigenous cultures and, you know, cultures all through the history of humanity have have <laughs> always believed that there's like some meaning behind uh, like that, like meaning behind events or meaning to the universe. I mean, that was also very comforting for me. Uh, and then I, in the book, I also talk about um, how altered states of consciousness like me- meditation or um, hypnotic regression or psychedelics are very healing and how, um, you know, actually g- allowing yourself to feel emotions and let them move through you and, you know, out of you is actually very healing and spiritual in a way, right? Like it just, but it really helps you um, not hang on to things as much. And so I talk about that a little bit in the book, but that has really helped me understand. I, Cause I, I do think Western culture has a kind of a, <laughs> like not, not a good relationship with emotions yeah. <laughs> and they, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the, just to let, the, I love the way you say, let them just flow through you. Yeah. Um, just learn, learn, learn from them because they're all, they're all teachers, aren't they, in some way? Yes. Exactly. Oh, yeah. One, my, one of my psychologist friends always says, she's like, ask yourself, what is this emotion trying to teach me or what is it trying to tell me? And I, it gets I, very exciting when you start viewing your life like that. Yes. It's, it's a real shift, isn't it? And it's just like, oh, like, this is, this is interesting. Yeah. No, not not oh, oh woe is me. Why? Why? Why am I feeling like what's it? What's it shining a light on within me? And then I find it becomes kind of exciting. You become like a detective. Don't exactly. You? Yes, it is. It is. It's like a mystery. You need to figure out. And it's. It is. I mean, I wouldn't. I don't know if I would go so far as to say it's fun, but sometimes it is. <laughs> Depends. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's it just, it's very um, mesmerizing. That's what I'm saying. That you you realize that, that you know it's it's you, identifying with it is not yes. the, the way forward. Not helping. Yes, exactly. You tried that in the past, and if it was going to work, it would have worked, and it hasn't. So mm-hmm. you've got to try a new approach. And you know, your book helps readers find that new approach, that new perspective that can just to see the light mm-hmm. at the end of the tunnel. Not in a near death experience way, right. but in, yes. a, in a kind of. <laughs> perception way now you do say i like that the the old you would have hated the new you (laughs) can you talk about that what do you mean yes yeah i i yeah this journey was also why would you you have distrusted or disliked or steered clear of you as you are now that is very interesting (laughs) that was um so that was one of the things that i had to look at within myself uh, as i was going through this journey which was not just spiritual, it was, you know, psychological as well, uh, was that, was that question was for myself. That's what I'm talking about. Like part of this whole thing, this whole emotion thing was when I would meet somebody 
um, who believed in something, I don't know, like new age or I mean, really any spiritual or religious thing, I would get angry and like my heart rate would go up. I would sweat. Like I would, you know, it was a whole body response and, um, and just a lot of anger. And I, it wasn't until, you know, maybe a year into this or two years into this um, transformation journey where I finally looked at that. Maybe it was after I wrote the book, maybe after I wrote that line that I was like, I mean that sentence, but what does that mean? And I really had to look at that. And it was like, well, why am I having such an emotional reaction? You know, why is there anger and stuff? And, um, it goes back. I mean, I had to read psychology to figure it out, like psychology books and talk to people. But, you know, I think it was just that my, I needed science to feel smart. And um, so for, and I also think there's a culture, I mean, I think our Western culture really emphasizes, you know, evidence-based, science-backed, um, things like that. And so I was like, science is the way forward. It's the future. And religion and spirituality are, are, keeping us in the past. That's how I viewed it. But at a more personal level, it was that I felt an attack on my, I don't know what, <laughs> my beliefs, an attack on my value. Um, you know, something, it was so personal and that's why I was having such an emotional reaction, but I had to look at all of that, right. And go through this whole transformation to be like, whoa, you know, calm down. Like, <laughs> it's like, you're fine. <laughs> Not everyone in the world is going to agree with you. And if somebody, believes in something that isn't hundred percent backed by science. It's not like a direct threat to you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, I mean, actually I'm thinking as you're talking, it sort of struck me that the fact that this book exists at all is a kind of a miracle really, because you had the scientific sort of reluctance <laughs> and now you're saying you had your own, your own self was kind of like a barrier to this book oh, being yeah. written. You had to overcome so much it was not I mean basically it wasn't saying it wasn't, wasn't an obvious thing to do was it it was like something you had to overcome barrier after barrier yeah to get to the, yeah where you are now um, uh, it's really hard <laughs> it seems like that it seems like there was so much if you looked at it from the bigger picture this book's not going to happen because there's this issue there's this barrier there's that hurdle <laughs> yeah, <it was laughs> a lot. yes which leads me to your your Lord of the Rings Quote, Samwise Ganji, folks seem to have just be, just landed in adventures. Usually their paths were laid that way. But I expect they had lots of chances like us of turning back, only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know because they'd have been forgotten. So basically what I'm saying, you know, in The Lord of the Rings, what Samwise is saying there to, to Frodo is kind of like, well, we could have turned back at any point because the, the obstacles the problems were so big but we didn't mm -hmm. something propelled us forward and I feel that's very much like mm -hmm. with proof of spiritual phenomena something propelled you against all odds <laughs> yes yeah I think that's true yeah it was it was difficult but I'm glad I did it I'm so glad you did as well so how can people get hold of a copy of this remarkable book or find out about you connect yeah. to you yes well, the book is sold wherever books are sold. You can get it at the Inner Traditions website or Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Um, but you can also get it through links on my website, my personal website, which is monasobaniphd.com. Mona Sabani, and that's spelled S-O-B-H-A-H. Sorry, could you give the spelling? S-O-B-H-A-N-I, right? Yes, you got it. So monasobaniphd.com. 
Yes. Okay, thank you so much. And just to, um, to close this interview, is there a quote from a, a movie, book, a song, or a life-changing quote, or a quote from your book, or a thought you have, something to leave listeners mm-hmm. white shores with um, um, to, to go away and reflect, because this is Mona's wisdom. Yeah, um, well, I guess it's related to what we were just talking about. I really, I really carry this with me. I think it's from Carl Jung. Um, and it's the best thing I can do for you is work on myself. And the best thing you can do for me is work on yourself. And for whatever reason, that is really resonating with me in the moment. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, isn't it? It's when people's inner turmoil is projected out mm-hmm. to other people or to the world and they're trying to fix the world externally. Yes. When yes. It's like in a plane, isn't it? They say, put on your own. Yes, exactly. That's that's absolutely right. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Mona. It's been an absolute delight um, to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you from my heart and soul for being here and walking beside me in spirit on white shores sensitive kind compassionate souls like you who see beyond the material are needed more than ever today to help this earth heal and evolve if you have any questions stories or insights to share i absolutely love hearing from you and aim to reply to everyone in due course my website is www.teresachung.com. My contact email is angeltalk710 at aol.com. And you can message me via my Instagram handle, the Teresa Chung, as well as my Facebook and Twitter author pages. Until we meet again on these white shores, keep being amazing spiritual you, sending my eternal love and gratitude.